Good morning, everyone. And I'd like to welcome you to the Westchester region of, of the New York City Church of Christ. It's the greatest region in all of Westchester County. I'm going to use the Inspire Conference for our message today as well, even though I didn't get to attend a conference, and I tried to go online to hear messages from the conference, but they haven't provided them yet. So I did look at the titles and the schedule, and uh, it was, I mean, it was a great idea, great theme, great titles for messages and classes. So I thought just to encourage our ministry as well as all of you is that we would spend our time today talking about the God who inspires. The God who inspires. So let's pray together as we get started. Uh, God and Father in heaven, thank you for being the great God that you are. You are the creator of all things. Within your hands is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Nothing is impossible for you. When we consider uh, who you are and all that you're done, you've done, God, we are overwhelmed with your glory, your majesty, your excellence, your perfection, your grace, your mercy, your goodness, your love, your long-suffering, your patience. God, you're always there for us. You live in us. Father, you want so much for us to be inspired by who you are and by all that you've done. And I pray today we would move forward in being filled with zeal and fervor for you to give you glory and honor. Bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So the God who inspires, and as was mentioned earlier, in the book of Jeremiah, uh, God uses Jeremiah to let the Israelites know that they are going to be in uh, captivity, captivity by the Babylonians under uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. But whenever God brings judgment on his people, he always gives them hope. He always tells them that if they repent, there is a way out of this. There is a way that they can turn this around. And so he says to them in Jeremiah, and I'm going to go ahead and begin in verse uh, 36. He says, you are saying this about this city, by the sword and famine, and plague, it will be handed over to the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I will surely gather from all the lands where I banished them in their furious anger and great wrath, and I will bring them back to this place. And they will live in safety. They will be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they may always fear me for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. God wants you and I to be inspired, to be inspired by His grace, be inspired by His love, be inspired by all the blessings that He has bestowed on us, that we would never turn away from Him. 
that when we consider who He is and what He's done for us, it would move us to say, I will never leave Him. I will never abandon Him. I will never do anything that does not glorify Him, that does not honor Him. I'm moved by Him. That's what God wants in every heart. You know, when you go to a conference, praise God, conferences are great. And they are a catalyst sometimes to moving you forward. They stimulate new thoughts and, and you get renewed conviction. But they can't sustain you. You go to camp, you come back, and, and you're enthused. It's great. But it can't sustain you. And you come to church on Sunday and, and prayerfully you hear a half-decent sermon. But it can't sustain you. God is to be your source of inspiration. So I want to talk about how God inspires His people. How God inspires His people. God not only want us, wants us to be inspired, but He wants us to remain inspired. And that's the challenge. We've all been inspired at some point in our lives or you wouldn't be here as a disciple of Jesus. But are you, are you as inspired as the day you first came to know Him? Are you as inspired as the day when you first realized that all your sins were washed away and that you'd been given this new life and that you were white as snow, that, that everything, all the guilt, all the sin, all the past mistakes had been erased? Are you as inspired as the day you first understood that God loved you? Where's your inspiration? I think the longer we're in Christ, the more inspired we ought to be. Because we're getting closer to that day when we shall see Him face to face. Don't you go limping into heaven. You soar into heaven. Saying, God... I've been looking forward to seeing you all my life. So let me tell you how God inspires us. God inspires us. We're going to talk about these three things real quickly. Number one, through His Word. Number two, through His Spirit. And number three, through others. God inspires us. He keeps us inspired. But number one, we've got to understand that the inspiration comes through the Word of the Almighty God. That's why we have it. To open it each morning and to say, Speak to me, Lord. Your servant hears. Direct me, Lord. I'm ready to go. Convict me, Lord, that I could understand what it means to be closer to you. Help me, Lord. To say no to my sinful nature. To say no to temptation. Give me the words. Give me the direction. That's why we, we, we spend that, that time meditating close to God. But here's a fact uh, that, that we're, we're going to have to look at. It's been said that even though people believe the Bible, very few people read it every day. And 
Our inspiration should come from the Word of God. You know, Jeremiah said, he said, His Word is like a fire within me. It's, it's, it's like a, a, a fire in my heart, like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. That's where the inspiration comes from. The Word of God. When we put it in our hearts, it should move us. It should, 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 should stir our souls. The psalmist says in Psalm 19, verse 7, that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That when you open your Bible, sometimes you, you know, Cynthia and I, we, we're sharing quiet time verses, and, and she says, Sam, have you ever seen this? Now, I've read through the whole Bible a gazillion times. Surely I may have seen it, but it didn't affect me in the way that it just touched her heart. It does that. And, and it's like you never saw that scripture before in your whole life. And it moves you. And you think, no one else has ever discovered this either. What a great scripture that is. And it stirs. It moves your spirit. Hebrews 4 verse 12 tells us that the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. No, it, it, it moves in our hearts. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When you're in your Bible every day, it, it moves your heart and your mind. It affects your mind. It affects your mouth. That's why we need to meditate on it. When I first started reading the Bible, it kept me from doing things that at one time I felt no guilt about. So this thing is in my head. It's in my brain. It's messing with me. But it was a good thing. And I still need to meditate on it every day so that I can walk closer to God and be more righteous in my daily spiritual life. Is that not true, church? It should be true for all of us. And then finally, in Matthew 4, in verse 4, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, and Satan tells him to turn this stone into bread, Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That what, what really feeds our spirit is the Word of God. That we should feast on it. We shouldn't be snacking on the Word of God. Few of you eat just once a day. I'm looking at you. I can tell. You eat all day long. Some of you have hidden food under your bed. Some of you parents hide food from your children. So you can have it for yourself. Do you feed on the Word of God? Do you feast on the Word of God? I saw this statistic online the other day where it says 80% of churchgoers don't read the Bible daily. 80%. How many of us read the Bible every day? How many of us these past seven days spent time in the Scriptures daily? If our eternal salvation was based on us having read the Bible consecutively seven days this past week, how many of us would go to heaven? He says, well, Sam, why are you harping on that? If you devote yourself 
to meditating, reading, and obeying the scriptures every day for seven consecutive it will change your life. If you do it for a month, it will further change your life. If you do it for a year, it will revolutionize your life. If it becomes your way of life, you'll be continually transformed into the image of Jesus. We call ourselves disciples. We should feed on the Word of God every day. We, as we study the Bible with people, one of the very first studies we start with is the Word. Be a Berean. Are you a Berean? Are you a Berean? Don't ask somebody else to be something you're not willing to be. We can't make it without the Word of God. Here are some metaphors for the Word of God. I don't have time to go through all of them. We'd be here all day. But he tells us that it's a sword that pierces. We just read about that. It's a mirror that reveals. As you look into the perfect mirror, it shows you what you really look like. And we need that. It's a seed that produces. You know, even the parable of the sower says you plant that one seed and it multiplies. It's milk that nourishes. It's a lamp that shines. It's a fire that consumes. It's a hammer that shatters. It inspires us to be more for God. It shows us how to do it. Fill your soul up with it. Fill your spirit up with it. You know, sometimes we're, we're talking about how fatigued we are. And I know sometimes there's a physical fatigue. But it's the spiritual fatigue that concerns me. And you don't deal with spiritual fatigue by taking a vacation from the Word of God. You deal with it by engulfing yourself more into the Word of God. You know, every year my, my wife reads through the whole Bible. I'm doing it again this year. My, my problem is I can't, you know, I've got this schedule and I'm like 75 days ahead of the schedule. Because I gotta read what's next. So I'm gonna be done by next month and then I gotta find something else to read. But I, but I, I need it. It fills my spirit. It moves me. It helps me to stay on track in my relationship with God. And then Jeremiah, I mean Ezekiel, who's one of my favorite prophets. The Lord says to him, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat the scroll. Then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth. He gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat the scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and tasted it. And it tasted as sweet as honey to my mouth. God is telling you to eat the scroll. Feed on the word of God. It's sweeter than honey. More precious than gold. Are we feeding on that? Where's my inspiration? It comes from the Word of God. Conferences in. Church services eventually in. Camps in. The Word of God lasts forever. You gotta feed on that. Then you can be inspired. That's how God speaks to us. That's how God moves in our, in our lives. Secondly, through his spirit. Second Timothy 
1 verse 7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. When we became disciples of Jesus Christ, we were baptized into Christ, and we were given the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And it's not a spirit of timidity. It's a spirit of power. God puts a part of Himself in us to inspire us to walk according to His paths. You can't live the Christian life without the Spirit of God. You can't win the spiritual battle without spiritual weapons. And one of the spiritual weapons is the Holy Spirit of God. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. He tells us in Ephesians 3, verse 20, He says, let, let me make sure I got it right here. Most times I can, I can quote it, but I'm a little fired up right now. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is, that is, that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. His power is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Don't tell me you can't change. Don't tell me you can't overcome sin. Don't tell me you can't say no to Satan. Because he who lives in you is greater than he is in the world. Can we live a righteous life? Sure we can. Can we be inspired to be bold and courageous for God? Sure we can. By the Spirit that lives in us. Am I right, church? Are you taking hold of that Spirit? Are you living by that Spirit? Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit wants to do things. It wants to move. It's not lazy. It doesn't need a vacation. It doesn't go to sleep. It wants to move. It wants you to move, move you toward glorifying God. It's that spirit when you're around people and you feel this urge, I should, I should share, I should talk. That's the spirit of God urging you. Speak. Say something. God, God moves in our, in our lives. It was the spirit prompting, urging somebody to probably reach out to you. And, and now the spirit is, is trying to work in all of our lives to inspire us. To step out on faith and to give glory to God. Jesus told his disciples, says, don't even worry about this, about what to say. Because my spirit is going to guide you into all truth. It's going to direct you. When you think about all the great men and women of old, it was the spirit of God that came on Gideon that led him to victory. It was the spirit of God that came on David that led him to victory. It was the spirit of God that moved in the, the lives of the prophets. And now the Spirit of God wants to come on you to work through you. Man, none of us, most of us, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing without the Spirit of God. I surely wouldn't be up here preaching the Word without the Spirit of God. You know, Kevin Finnerday and I were talking the other day about 
our fear of public speaking when we were in high school. And he was telling me about the instance when he was asked to give a presentation. And when he finished, nobody understood a word he said. I know I can relate because I felt the same way, the fear of public speaking. But that was before I had something to speak about. See, when you become a Christian, now you got something to talk about. You know, I didn't need to be talking about those uh, English subjects that had nothing to do with changing my life. As now the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of the Lord wants to come upon you. God's supernatural power wants to work in your life. We need spiritual power. And right now, God is saying, the power lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives, dwells in you. Spirit of power. Spirit of love. Spirit of self-discipline. What do you need to change in your life? What do you need to radically Turn around in your life. You can do it by the power of the Spirit of God. You can overcome the internal challenges and you can overcome the external challenges by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, you're going to have to make every effort and then the Spirit will come and do what you can't do. You can revolutionize your life. You can be transformed. A great example of this is Peter. The same man who denied Jesus three times is now filled with the Spirit of God. And here in Acts chapter 4, when he's facing the Sanhedrin and they're threatening his life, the Bible says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to count today for the act of kindness shown to a cripple and and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no under name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. This is not the same guy who was denying Jesus before little girls. He's a new man. Why? He's filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit has changed him. He allowed it to, but he's bold. He's courageous. He's willing to put his life on the line by the glory, by the power of God. It goes on to say in Acts 4 that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And took note that these men had been with Jesus. When you become a Christian, you should become different. And you should continue to grow and to become more different than what you were before you became a Christian. Because that's what the Spirit does. And and, and so we've got to allow God to work in our lives by the power of His Spirit to be inspired by the Spirit. Now look, let me leave you with this. The Spirit right now wants to change this church. Change this ministry. 
It wants to move in every heart, in every life here, so that we can glorify God both individually and collectively. Amazing things can happen by the power of the Spirit of God. If we will allow it to inspire us. Where am I? I've been not even clicking the thing. I've just been talking. First Thessalonians 5.19 said, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't put it out. Don't snuff it out. Don't hold back. Let the Spirit come alive in your life. Get in the Word. Get on your knees. Pray to God. Lead me. Guide me. And Lord, when you speak, I will listen. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Peter did not put out the Spirit's fire in Acts 4. Don't you put it out this week. And then he tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve. How do you grieve it? By sinning against God. By rebelling against God. By resisting God. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm saying no to people. No, a lot of times we're resisting God. It's the Spirit that's urging you to be at midweek. Not your life group leader. That's what we call them now, right? Life group. Not your life group. I've been in so many groups, family groups, Bible talk groups, soul talk groups. What group we in now? Well, amen. And you don't feel right when you're not there. That's the Spirit. And sometimes we quench it. Oh, no, 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 I shouldn't feel that. That, that. That's not it. No, you're quenching the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit is urging you. Initiate. Reach out. Encourage your brothers and sisters. Stop being a loner. We quench the Spirit. No, 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 no. The Spirit is trying to get us to evangelize. Some of us, we don't even want to hear about evangelism. Don't talk to me about evangelism. Well, that's the Spirit of God. You wouldn't be here without the Spirit having urged others. Now He's starting to urge you. Don't, don't quench it. Don't put out its fire. It's trying to inspire you to do what is right. You know, I was talking to a brother the other day. He was on an evangelistic quest, and I'm going to get him to come and preach to us sometime. And he had this crazy goal. He and some students, I don't know, meet 5,000 people this past week. Some crazy goal. And so he called me up on the phone and he said, Sam, you know, I'm, I'm 27 people short of my goal. He says, but I feel compelled. He says, what do you think I should do? You think it would be crazy? I've got this meeting I'm going to, Campus Devo, whatever, that if I just went out in Manhattan and just met 27 more people to reach my, reach my goal. Do you think that's crazy? I said, no. It's not crazy. Go ahead, bro. You, you've come this far. The Spirit of God is urging you. Go ahead and do it. And that's exactly what he did. Matter of fact, he met 28 just to be careful, just to make sure that he got it. But that's the Spirit of God in his heart. And, and I'm not saying that's the most effective way to evangelize, but it's better than doing nothing. Spirit of God. Man, when we unleash the Spirit in the lives of the people in this room, amazing things are going to happen. And even if you're not a Christian right now, God is trying to use somebody with His Spirit 
to get you to do what you know is right. To become a disciple of Jesus. And then finally, we're inspired through others. Through others. You know, here in, in 1 Samuel 17, this is the story of David and Goliath. You know, and David goes out. He faces that Philistine. He's filled with the Spirit of God. He slays that giant. And once he slays the giant, you know what the Bible says? It says that all of those men who at once at one time were, were cowering in caves, it says David ran, stood over the Philistine. He, he cut off his head. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to, and to the gates of Ekron. They were inspired by David's faith. And they begin to surge. And you know, when you're around other spiritual people, when you're around other godly people, it inspires you. But when you're around half-dead disciples, it takes a little bit out of you. Because you're trying to hold them up. Man, I need to be inspired. And these disciples, they were inspired by David's faith, by his courage. And then they became courageous. God puts people around you, not for them to be your standard, but for them to encourage you, for them to build you up in your holy faith. That's why we need to be together for church. That's why we need to be together for midweek. That's why we need to be together for our life groups, so we can inspire one another. To be our very best for God. You run better and you run faster when you're with other disciples. Some of you miss church and you don't even call and let anybody know what's going on with you. And you're a grown person. What if everybody had your attitude toward the church services? I need you. You need me. This Christian life is challenging. It's hard. Sometimes I need somebody to hold up my arms so you can do this. You're doing the right thing. Keep doing what you know is right. Paul went on to say in Philippians chapter 1, he says, Now you know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers, not all the brothers, most of the brothers, can't get all the brothers all the time, have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fiercely. Because of my chains. Sometimes we think, well, I can't help anybody because of the trial I'm going through. Paul says, because of my chains, the brothers have been encouraged. See, it's all about how you deal with your difficulties and trials that make the difference. You know, sometimes we face the chains of health challenges. I call them health chains. But if you handle them with faith, you can inspire us that we too can overcome. Sometimes we have financial change when we don't have a dollar. When we can't even go to the ATM and if we put our card in there, it gets eaten because it's insufficient funds. But you still are faithful. 
you're still joyful because your hope is not in this world and you're still committed. And so we're inspired because we see you going and have a victory and you're not moping around. You can inspire us. Sometimes we have family chains and we go through things in our marriages and with our children. But what is your attitude? You can inspire us not by the difficulty being taken away, but by you faithfully marching through that valley, trusting God all the way. Because of your chains, we can be inspired. Wherever you are in life, sometimes we're waiting for everything to work out, everything to get right. That will happen one day. Well, you will be dead. And you will be on your way to see the Lord. In this life, we will always have trouble. So, brothers and sisters, it's not the absence of trials that give glory to God. It's using and and understanding that through the trials, through the valley, I can be an inspiration to the glory of God. Life is just not always going to be easy, people. Who told you that? Who told you it was always going to be easy? Or fair. Thank you. Sure ain't fair. But God still loves you. Paul's in prison and he's writing to the Philippians, be joyful always. Who writes a be joyful letter while they're in prison? Who does that? Someone whose hope is in eternity. Whose trust is in God. Who realizes that wherever I am in life, I can be an inspiration to God's glory. They put him in prison. He started saving the prisoners. That's what you do. Wherever you are, you can't wait for your circumstances to get. So how are you doing? I'm doing under the circumstances. I'm doing okay. Well, then what you doing under there? Get from up under there. And go on and give glory to God. i got to wrap this up. We serve the God who inspires. Through His Word. Through His Spirit. Through you. This week, you can be an inspiration to our great God. And to all of us. If you trust in Him and don't allow your struggle, your challenge, your difficulty to take your eyes off of the eternal God with whom nothing is impossible. God bless. You just listened to the Westchester Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit westchester.nycococ.net.